we're talking about Moses, and we're going to continue to talk about Moses. So we're walking kind of somewhat through the book of Exodus right now. Uh, the first three chapters of Exodus cover 80 years in the life of Moses. A lot of stuff covered really fast. Uh, we talk often when we look at Moses about all the great things that Moses did, but what we forget is that God spent 80 years preparing him for, for 40 years of, of stories. And that out of those 80 years, the first part, the first 40 were spent in Pharaoh's palace. The next 40 were spent in the desert alone. And that all of that was a preparation for what he had uh, for Moses when Moses goes before Pharaoh. So this morning, we're going to pick up the story, and we're going, I'm going to read uh, chapter four, uh, the end of chapter 4 and part of chapter 5. So as, as we go through this series, if you read about ballpark-ish, if you read about a chapter ahead of wherever we leave off, you'll kind of know where we're going for the day. Sometimes it'll be a little more, sometimes it'll be a little less, but uh, as an average. So this morning, uh, Exodus uh, chapter 4, here we go. Uh, now again, when we left Moses last week, and, and I know... I was going to say a lot of you weren't here, but we had a lot here, actually. Um, we left last week. We had done Moses in the burning bush and the idea that God spoke to him and said, I want you to go before Pharaoh. And, of course, Moses had a whole bunch of reasons and excuses that he couldn't. And finally, got, he realized, okay, I need to do this. So with that in mind, here's what he does. Uh, it says, then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, let me return to my own people in Egypt and see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, go and I wish you well. Now the Lord has said to Moses and Midian, go to back to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and his son, put him on a donkey and started back to Egypt and he took the staff of God in his hand. So a couple of things here uh, as we look at it. First of all, it's interesting to understand that when God calls Moses, to go back to Egypt. Uh, first of all, we know from the text here that, that the Pharaoh who wanted him dead is gone. Okay? That was 40 years before. So we've changed Pharaohs. And everybody who didn't like Moses is kind of in the background and gone at this point. Uh, and we know from the story here that Moses now has at least another son uh, from different texts. We know um, Gershom and then um, Elijah. Elijah uh, Elijah, uh, and so he's going to take them to Egypt. We don't know a lot about them. Uh, here's what we do know from other passages in the scriptures. What's going to ultimately happen is Moses is going to take them to Egypt, and then when he's doing that whole Pharaoh, let my people go thing, he sends them back to Midian, to Jethro, um, and they stay there, and then when Moses gets back into the wilderness, they're going to join him again. And there's, there's, there's two realms of thought of why that happened. One thinks it's because of the incident with Zephora, and one, th one group thinks that it's because of the, um, the uh, safety of, you know, Pharaoh who's going to start killing his family in order to get him to go away. But whatever, so he's going to join them back. But here, a couple things I want to point out on this thing. It's interesting. God has called Moses to go to the ch children of Israel to let them know he is going to deliver them out of Egypt. And he's ultimately going to go before Pharaoh. And he knows it's not going to turn out well, but he still goes. But before he goes, notice what the text says. He says, he went back to his father-in-law and said unto him, let me return to my own people in Egypt. 
What's interesting here is Joseph goes to his, dad, his father-in-law and says, before I go and do this thing, I have a responsibility with the sheep. But before I do this thing, I want your permission that it's okay for me to do this so that somebody else will have to take care of the sheep. You say, no, why is that important? Here's why. Because when God asks you to do something, it's important to understand that does not mean you get to walk away from responsibility. It's a simple principle, but it's a really important principle. When somebody comes to me and says, well, God's calling me to do this, and I realize that the, the, what God's calling them to do means they're going to walk away from a ton of responsibility without working through it, it's like, okay, I don't think it was God who told you to do that. But, but here he, does, he follows this. He goes to Jethro and he says, Jethro, look, you know, this is what God's wanting me to do. I want to do this. Is it okay with you? And Jethro says, yeah, go. So he says, bless you, which is interesting because later when he's going to send him back, guess what? Jethro's willing to take him back, uh, take, take his wife back and, and, and protect him and that kind of thing. We know that from this text that at this point um, the uh, Pharaoh's dead, and we know that he's going to put his kids on uh, a donkey deal, and they're going to head back to Egypt. Um, and then there's a couple of verses. Uh, again, I can't go through the whole thing verse by verse like I like because we've got a, a chapter and a half, and we spend half the time reading the text. So uh, I'm going to summarize kind of in between where I jump. Uh, there's an interesting story here uh, before we get to Aaron um, about uh, Zephora and uh, Moses. It's only two verses long, but it's, I think it lays an important principle that ties to this. And here's what it is. Here's what happened. <clears throat> Apparently, when Moses uh, was raised in Egypt, and again, he identified with the Hebrew people who was raised in Egypt, one of the things that happens is that uh, apparently, for whatever reason, Moses had not circumcised his two sons. And we don't know why, but I don't know if it was because he was Egyptian. I don't know if he didn't think it was important. I don't know what the deal was. But what happened is, and you'll read it as you go through the, next, the end of chapter 4, God was going to kill Moses. God was going to take Moses' life because he had not been obedient. Zephora, his wife, steps in. And she circumcises his sons and then basically said, look, I'm doing this because you won't do this. I'm going to fulfill the responsibility here that you were supposed to do as a Hebrew dad. And you didn't do because we're getting ready to go before the Hebrew people. If we go before the Hebrew people, this is going to be an issue. And, it, and God spares Moses because Zephora steps in and does what she's supposed to do. Some people think that by the time he got to Egypt, Moses was so mad at her, he sent her back home. I don't think that's the tax. But... Um, but, but here's what's interesting. When you study the life of Moses, a lot of people don't, don't miss this. Because like I say, it's two verses long. That's it. But at the beginning of this story, God's ready to take Moses out of the equation. And it is Zephora who steps in. And it's Zephora who steps in and says, this was what we should have done, and we're going to go do the right thing. And there's an important principle there, right there about listening and doing what God wants you to do. And so it's ironic because... Here we see Moses being responsible with Jephro, but we see him being irresponsible with his own children, and we see Zephora stepping in and being responsible for what Moses should have done and actually allowing God to spare Moses' life. It's an incredible principle when you put it all together as far as the application for us. Then we're introduced to Aaron. Again, we haven't seen Aaron for 80 years um, in uh, Exodus, and here's what it says. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. 
So he met Moses at the mountain of God and he kissed him. That was a traditional greeting thing. And then he told, then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say and all about the signs that he had commanded him to perform. So then Aaron now steps into the picture and Aaron and Moses meet. I don't know if this is the first time they had met for 40 years. Uh, I don't know if uh, it's the first time they had met for maybe 60 or 70 years. Uh, I, I don't know, but they, they, we know that they hadn't been together on a kind of a regular basis. So they meet and Moses basically goes, hey, look, here's the deal. Here's what God's done. Here's what God wants me to do. And uh, I told him I can't talk. And he said, you would. So you're volunteered, you know, or as my kids call it, voluntold. Um, you, are, you are now going to do this. Okay. And so uh, basically they, you know, Moses, Moses and Aaron are on board. Uh, for what God wants for him. And so then you come to the passage and it says, and Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. This is one of the few passages where Aaron's the one who's speaking. Okay? Uh, It's interesting because often in this story, God says, I'll let Moses, Moses, I'll I'll tell you what to say. You tell Aaron, Aaron can speak for me. That was the arrangement at the beginning. You see this right here. Aaron's the one who goes before the people. You're rarely going to see Aaron speak after this. After this, it's Moses who's going to step up the plate. Uh, but it says, and Aaron told him everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. So they come before the people and say, here's the plan. We're going to go out, and we're going to worship God, and we're going to get out from underneath the, the, the bond of the Egyptians. And we're going to prove to you that God's on our side. Here we go. And they, I'm sure they took the water, poured it out of the pitcher, turned to blood, and people are like, oh. Take the staff, throw it on the ground, turns into a snake, picks it up, and they're like, ooh. Takes his hand, sticks it in his coat, pulls it out, it's leprosy, puts it back, it's not, which I think would have been a cool trick. I mean, you know, you've got, you've got a lot of people paying attention at that point. And the people are going, you know what, this is, this is good. This is good. We're in. We're all in. Um. And they're pretty excited. Now, let me, I want to stop and I want to ask you a question at this point. Is God with them at this point? It's not, it's not a trick question. Is God with them? Yeah. Yeah. Has God been with them even when they were in bondage? Yeah. Because here's what we're going to see as we continue on this study. You're going to watch the children of Israel do what you and I do all the time. When things are going good, we're cheerleaders for God. When things are going bad, we blame God. And at this point in the story, everybody's on board. They're, you know, this is like, you know, our team's going to win. Yay, 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 And then they get on the field and the score ends up being 49 to 0. You know, and unless you're a Bears fan, you're used to this kind of stuff. You know, I mean, you know, longtime Bears fans, let me tell you something, you know. Um, you know, uh, yeah, now I've got to isolate a bunch of people. You'll get over it. But anyway. I'm a Bears fan, okay? Um, you know, the Chicago people, were, they're just not right. But anyway, we always, we always we, we're loyal. That's the one thing about it. So anyway, so notice what it says. So the Lord was with them, and it's seen their ministry. They're all excited. So now here's what happened. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. And we're going to spend a lot of time on this this morning. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, and said, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Let my people go so that we may hold a festival to be in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I'm not going to let you go. Now, 
in our culture, we don't understand how big a deal this is. Okay, so let me give you a little background on the Egyptian world. Um, we are monotheistic. What we believe is we believe there is one God. We believe in one God. And so we hold on to that idea of one God. The Egyptian world is polytheistic. They believe in many gods. And so in the Egyptian world, what happens is you have to figure out which God you go to for which problem. And if there are a couple of gods that could solve the problem, you go to them all. But there was always a debate over which God was more powerful than which God. So let me ask them. So let's put it in a practical context. Uh, last year we had the floods. Okay, let's, You're a farmer. Uh, we've had all the rain. We've had everything else. You're in a polytheistic world. Okay? Which God do you go to? Do you go and do you worship at the God of the sky and say, please stop the rain? Do you go to the God of agriculture and crops and say, please don't let this affect my yield? Or do you go to the God of um, um, uh, the fertility God to say, okay, Lord, I need, God, I need these, these plants to develop later than normal. Which God do you pray to? In the Egyptian world, you prayed to all of them. But the Egyptian, the Egyptian priests over here for this God said, our God is the God that answers. Give us more money. Sacrifice more to us. And they're going, our God is the one who will solve it. You need to, you need to put a majority of your emphasis on us. Because our God the God of, of agriculture is more important than the God of weather. And so there was this debate of which God was more powerful, which had the bigger temple, which had the more followers, which had the more money, which had the more priests. And in the midst of all of that, there is the Pharaoh, who at this point in history is now called a God. And he says, I am the God that you should follow. And Moses and Aaron walk into Pharaoh's presence with all of the pomp and circumstance, all the beauty, all the gold, all the sparkly stuff, all of the protocol, everybody lined up and everything else, and they get an audience with the God Pharaoh. And this is what Aaron and Moses are basically going to go in and say. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. The Hebrew God, this is what he wants us, he wants you to take all of the slave Hebrews that you have and fire them all. Let them go. You know why you need to do it, Pharaoh? Because that's what our God wants. Now, if you're, in your mind, Pharaoh, big G God, and these puny little guys walk in with little g-god in their minds and say, this is what we want. First of all, it's, it's amazing that he didn't just execute them right away. God's protection. And God protects Moses in a lot of situations in this, but that's what he does. He basically is going into Pharaoh and saying, hey, Pharaoh, I know you think you're a big g-god, but we serve big g-god, and big g-god says, you're, you're little g-god, 
And by the way, the whole series, when we get into plagues, you're going to see that the whole series of plagues is this thing to show that God is God. And that all of the gods, all the polytheistic gods of Egypt are little g-gods. That there is one God. And there is one, one God only. And he is the one to be worshipped and followed. And so Pharaoh says, who's the Lord? I don't, I don't know your little g-god. And you know what? I don't have to listen to him. Now, he's going to learn. You better listen to him. But he didn't know that yet. He says, I don't know him. And there's no way I'm letting you go. Go back and read the rest of the story. Um, and because here's what happens um, through, we're going to go about halfway through the chapter, but um, what happens next is Moses and Aaron go out. Pharaoh says, call in all of the guys who are in charge of the Hebrews. I want to talk to them. He calls them all in. They're all having their little meeting. He says, here's the deal. These two yahoos, Moses and Aaron, came walking into me, and they want me to let all of the Hebrews go. He said, uh, I don't know how come they have enough time to get and rally around and, and, and protest and want to leave, but however they, whatever reason they're doing it, it's because they, they're lazy and they got way too much time on their hand. So we're going to solve this problem. We're going to solve it now. I want you to increase the workload. I know we're providing straw for them. The reason we're providing straw for them, I don't know if they've got enough time to, to come up with these kind of ideas then they got enough time to go get straw on their own. We're not providing straw anymore. Their quota of production has to be exactly the same. They have to get their own straw. And I don't want, I don't want, in fact, they actually increase the production. Um, and you know what? We're going to keep turning it out the way that we're going to turn it out. And we're going to do it with less. And it just sound like corporate America, you know? You know, um, you know, again, I'm not saying they're pharaoh or anything. But, I, I mean, I don't know what happened. You've got, you've got, you know, three people doing, you know, you've got one person doing the job of three people. You know, and, 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 and it breeds some issues. But what happens is, in this story, all of a sudden now, those people who are singing and praising, you're going to see this next week, those people who are singing and praising, what do you think their tune is now? Here's a question. Is God still involved in their life? But things aren't going well. And there's a great lesson for that. So that's the story we're going to talk about this morning. Let's talk about how we apply it. Um, There's a couple of lessons. First of all, I I think there's a lesson from Moses. Lesson for Moses, I think, has to do with responsibility. It has to do with doing, um, obey God, first of all. That, that, That got him in trouble, almost got him killed. But yet also be responsible. Um, I, I see, I see... I see this some with the younger generation is probably where this is most glaring to me right now. I, I, I see these kids coming out of college and, and, and all that's great. And they come out of college and, and, and I hear them say things like, um, I'm going to take a gap year and I'm going to take, and during my gap year, one of the things that I want to do is I want to go, you know, they pick some exotic country, first of all, you know, there's not a lot of them like going to Northern Canada. Um, but, you know, they pick some exotic area, and that's, that's great. And they do, and they go, and they do good things. And that's awesome. That's awesome. But when I ask the tough questions, they get uncomfortable. Like, what are you going to do about your student debt? Oh, I don't worry about that. Wait a minute. You have a responsibility here that you signed up saying, you give me this money, I'll go to school with it, and I'll pay you back. And now how's it going to get paid back? Well, mom and dad. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. 
well, this is what God wants me to do. This is what I hear. This is what God wants me to do. And I'm serving people. And da, da, da. Okay, but you still fulfill your responsibility. You still have God-given responsibility you have to take care of. And, and I think that's important for us to understand. So, you know, when people come to me and start talking to me, oh, God wants me to do this, God, and, and I see that, that part of what God's doing means they can be irresponsible in some other area of your life. I don't know who you're listening to, but it's not God because God wants you to be responsible. It's part of what God has designed us to be. Um, I think there's a great lesson there from Moses. Um, and I think that's the whole Zephora-Moses thing, too, is that, you know, Moses wasn't responsible and Zephora was. And actually, we owe a lot to Zephora, but when you talk about the children of Israel, she didn't come up a lot. Um, lesson from Aaron. I think there's a lesson here from Aaron. Um, and and, and here's, the, here's the thing I think you see in Aaron. Aaron. Moses has a big task in front of him. A monumental task. God doesn't have him do it alone. God brings somebody alongside of him to walk with him and help him through that task. One of the things that I see, I, 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 love, I love rural ministry. I love agrarian culture. I love the, the country. And believe me, believe me, um, 25, 30 years ago, though you would have never heard those. I used to make fun of people who lived on farms. I did. I did. We, I was on staff um, at the church I was at, and one of the, one of the, one of the, um, the Hyatts, actually, um, uh, he, was the, he was the music guy, and, and him and his wife, and, and I remember they bought an old house. Okay, this is how ironic this is, okay? They bought an old house in the city. They picked it up, and they moved it to the country, and I used to laugh at them. I said, who in the world would want to live in the country? And they said, well, we have all of this, we have this acreage. I said, who wants to take care of acreages? I said, if you have grass in your yard, I said, you dig it all up, you put down black asphalt, you paint it green, and you never have to worry about your yard again. I said, why in the world would you want to be out in the country? I said, it makes no sense to me. And I used to laugh at them, and I used to joke with them about it all the time. Last time I ran into them was, was a couple of years ago for a thing. <laughs> they reminded me of that. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I get it now. I get it now. You know, because they kind of looked at me like, oh, you poor soul. You just don't understand. One day you'll grow up and get smart. Um, and, and, I mean, they're right. Now I get it. I love it. I love the country. Going back to the city would be so hard for me. Uh, and I'm saying, God, I'll go anywhere, but please don't do this to me. Um, and send me back to the city. But that's kind of the world. That's kind of the world that... that uh, that, that it was, that I grew up in. And, 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 and so for me, um, it was just a crazy kind of idea of, of living in that kind of lifestyle. One of the things that happens here is that because of what Moses is about ready to head into, he calls Aaron beside him. He says, Aaron, um, basically the idea is Aaron, Moses is going to need somebody. One of the things about agrarian people is that we are really independent. And we pride ourselves on pulling ourselves up by our own bootstrap. We pride ourselves on, you know, you know I did this all by myself. Um, I, I get it. I get it. You know, I'd rather do it myself than have somebody else do it for me. But I also have to be honest, from a pastor's perspective, from a Christian perspective, from a biblical perspective, um, it's not biblical. We were designed from the get-go 
to be together. Um, you see it in creation. Uh, you see it when God institutes the church, that we are designed to work together. You go, well, no, 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 I know the Bible. The Bible says in Galatians, bear your own burdens. You're exactly right. It does say that. And when you look at that word, that word has the idea behind it of there's everyday normal burdens that everybody has to bear, so learn to carry your own stuff. Okay? Um, yes, we all work too hard. We don't get enough sleep. We wish we had more time. We struggle with finances. It's just everyday normal kind of stuff that everybody deals with. But that same chapter, actually, in Galatians says, bear one another's burdens. It's a different word. It's a different concept. That word, that concept, is the idea of there's extra stuff that comes into life. or stuff that's not normal to everybody every day. That kind of stuff, you have to carry together. Okay? And uh, so that's a... Uh, I saw Widmans come in. Are they still in here? Or did you have to buzz out with a kid? Uh, Dun, 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 dun. Don't worry, I'm not going to have you come up. But can Hunter help me? Hey, Hunter, can you come every minute? I need your help up here. Thank you, buddy. All right. How are we doing? Awesome. See that board over there? See that board on the floor over there? Go get it for me. Oh, uh, you can walk. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Thanks. How about going and put it back for me? Was it heavy? Huh? Was it heavy? Yeah, it was kind of heavy. Okay, come here. Let's go do it again. Okay, I'll grab this in. You grab that in. Okay? Go ahead. Let's take it to the other side. Now we're going to put it down right there. Hey, was that, was that easier? Huh? Was it easier? Yeah, it was easier, wasn't it? Awesome. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> How old is Hunter? Huh? Four? Yeah, four. A lesson from a four-year-old who said that got easier when somebody helped. Why do we want to carry it all on our own? Why do we think carrying it on our own is a smarter way to do it? Your own everyday stuff, carry it. But when you have situations that come into your life that are a little bit extra, you have a financial deal that comes into your life that's adding a lot more pressure than normal. You have a, a kid who starts making bad decisions and you don't know what to do and it wears on you, you start staying up at night. You start having health issues that you've never had before and all of a sudden now it starts to impact your world and it's, 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 it's becoming a heavier weight. Um, you start finding out that you've got, you're struggling with something. I mean, you've lost somebody who's really close to you and, and, and it weighs on you and life isn't the same like it was before and you don't know what to do about it and it's just weighing, 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 weighing on you. And you go, I keep trying to carry it, and I keep trying to carry it, and it's heavy, and it hurts, and da 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 But yet you won't say, hey, I'm struggling here. 
God brought Aaron to Moses because what he was going to ask of Moses was a bigger issue than Moses had ever dealt with up to this point in his life. I thought about this this morning, and I, I can't take this too far. Um, but let me show you how important this principle is. When Jesus goes to the cross, does he carry the cross all the way there by himself? Somebody came along to help Jesus carry the cross to his execution. If Jesus, who is God, said, I will let you help me, why can't you? Why can't you swallow your pride to say, I will let somebody in to walk with me through what we're going through? I mean, Jesus did. And so, you know, I don't see Jesus getting, going all the way to the cross and going, hey, I carried it there all by myself. I didn't need anybody. <clears throat> somebody walks up to Jesus and says, hey, or somebody walks up that says, I'll carry it. And the Roman soldiers say, yes, Jesus doesn't fight him. Jesus doesn't say, no, you can't do that. Jesus says, okay, you can, you can carry it. And I think there's a great lesson in Aaron that Aaron comes alongside Moses to remind him that some stuff we don't need to be going through on our own. And we need to be able to reach out and say, help me carry part of this. And I think that's a great lesson. You know, and this is driving me nuts, so I'm going to say this before you. I forgot, Melanie's grandfather passed away on Friday. And so I know their family would appreciate your prayers. Because again, it's a heavy thing that their, their, their family's going through. Um, we carry it together. We pray, we encourage, we lift up, we laugh together, we cry together, we walk through it together. Why? Because life is easier when it's done together rather than, you heard me say it all the time, Christian life's not a solo journey. So I think there's a great lesson in Aaron. I think there's a lesson for the people, from the people. Um, one of the lessons that you see in the, in the people here is that the idea of it's easy to be a cheerleader when things are going well. God was with them when Moses is doing all the miracles in front of them. And God is with them when the straw is being taken away. For some reason, we have adopted this mindset that when, when I serve God and please God, things go well, and when I don't, he beats me up. And I, I, don't, know, I, you know, I don't know if we got that. We probably got that from, from the way Christianity has been presented over the years. Um, some of us got it. You know, some of you got it maybe from your parents or your background where, you know, your, your love and acceptance from your parents was based on performance. Um, but there's nothing farther from the biblical truth. Uh, you know, difficult things are going to happen to good people. And it may have nothing to do with your living a life in obedience or pleasing to God. Uh, and yet, it might be one of the ways God's trying to get your attention. You need to know it's not God's first method. The Bible says the goodness of God leads to repentance. God's first method is 
goodness and grace and mercy and all the things we just sang about. So I, I just want to challenge you with this idea. It's easy sometimes to play this game of, of, you know, okay, yay, rah, 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 thanks God, God's blessing and God's doing it. But God was, God was still involved even when it got difficult. And I think that's the lesson from Pharaoh. We get this concept that when we do right, everything ought to be roses and rainbows. And, and my experience and my understanding of the Bible is just the opposite. The more we do in trying to please and honor God, the more Satan works to try to undermine that so it becomes more difficult often. And it becomes harder sometimes. And so, I mean, can, what would the story have been if, if Pharaoh's just sitting on a thing and says, okay, yeah, go ahead, we'll do, we'll, we'll, we can do fine without you, bye. No, God has to teach Pharaoh that he's God and Pharaoh's not. And unfortunately, in order to do that, a lot of really good people are going to have to pay the price. Why? Because God's more interested in character than your comfort. God's more interested in his glory than that everything goes rosy for you. And in order to work in the lives of the children of Israel across the board forever, this story has to happen. And I, and, and I really want to challenge, because some of you, that's where you're struggling. You've got stuff that's going on in your life right now, and you're like, why is God mad at me? Why is God mad at me? Why is God mad at me? God may, God's not, may not even be mad. God may not even be upset at all. It just might be God's in the middle of working. You know, we talked about this in Sunday school a little bit. You know, you know, there's, a, there's a text in Genesis, there's a passage in Genesis that says, and the Lord was with Joseph in prison. Now, those are two concepts you don't put together. If you're in prison, it's not like, oh, yeah, God sends all of his good people to prison. No, 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 but he's in prison. Why? Because God's preparing him for what he has for him that's eventually going to lead to the children of Israel in the wilderness and the children of Israel ultimately in the promised land. This is all part of the big picture. But in order to do that, Joseph's in prison. Part of the story. And Joseph was as right with God as you could be right with God. And, and I want to challenge you because that's what some of you, I'm afraid some of you, that's what you're going through right now. It's like all this stuff is happening and, 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 and I don't know what's going on and why is God mad at me and why is God, it, it, look, it may have nothing to do with any of that. But God is with you in the good and the bad. The challenge for each of us is to find God in that. And so I, for me, I know it's easy and I, I'm not going to say I'd never do it because I do it just like you do it. When difficult times come, one of the first questions you ask is, why, God? Why is this happening? I've learned a better question that I try to get to as quick as I can, and it's this. How can we use this circumstance or situation to glorify you? I found how gives me better options than why, because here's been my experience. Anytime I ask why, I've never had a sufficient answer. Even in situations where it's like it became clear of why God was doing it. It's like, well, yeah, but God, but, you know, you could have done it a different way. Why did you have to do it? You know, you know, and think about this for a minute. If God came to you and said, okay, this is why I did it. You know what your next question would be? Well, why didn't you do it this way? How come we had to do it that way? It's a dead-end question. It's just going to create a circle. And so what I try to do is, okay, Lord, you know, it's not something I want, but it's here. It is what it is. So, Lord, how?
can I use this to bring honor and glory to your name? And um, I find it's a much better question. And I find it's, and, and what I, because what I do is I start to try to see God in the midst of the good and in the midst of the bad. And that's my challenge. I think that's one of the things that we learn from Pharaoh, that even though Moses and Aaron were doing absolutely exactly what God wanted them to do, exactly when God wanted to do it, and exactly the way God wanted them to do it, it turns bad. And God is still right there in the middle of it. And I would say the same thing was true for us today. So if you're struggling, my challenge would be to try to stop get a little bit different focus and perspective to see how God can use it. Um, and ultimately, God uses Moses in an incredible way uh, to lead the children of Israel out and take on this incredible leadership task. So I end this morning, um, I end this morning with this idea and with this concept. We're reminded that God wants complete obedience. He wants us to journey through life together, especially during times that are difficult. During difficult times, it's important to keep our focus on the character and the power of God. The God who saved you is the same God who will sustain and help you. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, it's so easy sometimes to forget Things so simple as, uh, Lord, things are easier together. Lord, it's so easy sometimes to just forget the idea that you are always there, Lord. You're never going to forsake us. You're never going to abandon us. But yet, Lord, we convince ourselves that uh, you have. And, and Lord, we understand that's from Satan. So just help us to reframe what we're going through. And, Lord, for those of us who things are going well, I pray that you would help us to open our eyes to come alongside and help and encourage somebody who's having a tough time. For those who are having a tough time, that Lord, you would help them to open their hearts a little bit to people who are willing to help. And that Lord, they see you in the midst of a difficult time. And Lord, when it is all said and done, when years from now we have left this world, Lord, may we be able to gather together around your throne and celebrate the way that you have guided and used and worked in and through us to, uh, to take your message in the world. These things we ask in your name. Amen.